Uh, you all can see what's going on, so it's pretty self-explanatory. We may be turned this way for another week or so, and then hopefully we'll be turning that way. I think there'll be some speakers and stuff going in this week, so a lot of stuff going on. We're trying to press through it as best we can. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 19. I'm going to read you the craziest story in the Bible. There's a reason I believe the Holy Spirit's prompted me to go here. Uh, a lot of reasons, and you'll, we'll look at those here. You're going to get an in English lesson this morning. Do anybody remember what it means to conjugate a verb? Well, you're going to get a new lesson on that this morning. I went from loving sports and being an athlete to a word nerd. I'm a word nerd now. Uh, let's look at Judges chapter 19. We're going to go through the whole chapter, and then I'm going to share some lessons out of this chapter and then we will, I'll talk a little bit about the next two chapters because they kind of finish that, but we're not going to read all that. It says, It came to pass in those days when there, was a, when there was no king in Israel. Now, judges were raised up back in this time because God's people had lost their way. And they started mingling with the world. Does that sound familiar? <clears throat> the church started mingling. They were the church in the wilderness. They were God's people, and though they represent the church in the Old Testament, the Israelites do. And so they started mingling with the world, getting involved with the world, and uh, started practicing some of the same things the world does. And so this is important for us to hear because of the day we're living in. And that's why judges were raised up. And this situation is, is as bad as anything on one of those crime shows. It came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, but his concubine played the harlot against him and, and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. So she took off, was living in adultery, and that's the first bad part of the story. <clears throat> then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and to bring her back. Four months? Now there's a problem with him too, as you're going to see in just a minute. Uh, speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him, so she brought him into her father's house. And when the father young woman saw him, he was glad to uh, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. And then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning, and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father which was his father-in-law, said to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with me with a morsel of bread, and afterward go your way. So he, I don't know if he was afraid of what was maybe going to happen. I don't know if he just didn't want to give his daughter up. I understand all that. Everybody's got emotions. So they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. And the young woman's father said to the man, Please be content to stay all night. So he keeps talking to him in. Then let your heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. Then he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, Please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon. And both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, a young woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now dawning, drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be married. Tomorrow go your way early so that you may 
get home. However, the man was not willing to spend that night, and he arose and departed and came opposite Jabus, that is Jerusalem. With him were the two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him. They were near Jabus, and the day was far spent. And the servant said to his master, Come, please let us turn aside into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. So you got this picture going on, right? You're watching this movie with me in your mind. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside into here to a city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. So he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed by and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, which is the tribe of Israel. They turned aside there to go in to lodge at Gibeah, and when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. Just then an old man came from his work in the field at evening, who was also from the mountains of Ephraim. He was staying in Gibeah, whereas the men of the place were Benjamites. When he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city, and the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? So he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem to Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem in Judah, now I am going to the house of the Lord. But there is one who will take me into the house, although, but there is no one who will take me into his house, although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant and for your young man who is with your servant. There is no lack of anything. So basically he's saying, we, nobody's going to take us in and we don't really need anything. We just need a place to stay. We've got all the stuff we need, but nobody's taking them in. And the old man said, Peace be with you, however, let your needs be my responsibility. And this was customary when somebody took you in, just like Lot there in the Sodom there when he took the angels in. Only not only spend, only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house and gave fodder to the donkeys, and they washed their feet and they ate and drank. So what you're going to learn as we go through the rest of this story is you're going to learn that this place in Benjamin is turning out like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so this guy, much like Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, has taken these people in and he's becoming responsible for them. <clears throat> so they're in his house. They're not having to use their own provision because he took responsibility for that. He's a good neighbor. And as they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. And they spoke to the master of the house and the old man saying, Bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him carnally. So it's the same kind of situation. If you remember in Sodom, these men, these perverted men came to the door after the angels had showed up in Sodom. They wanted to lie with the angels. And Lot, uh, this is hard for us to understand. And I don't, I don't live like this and I would not live like this. But Lot offered them his daughters and, and you're going to see a similar situation here. And uh, no, they wanted them in, so finally the angels struck them blind, and they couldn't, they moped around, which they, blind, being blind was the least of their problems, because what was getting ready to happen to Sodom was bad. Uh, they got blew off the face of the earth shortly thereafter. <clears throat> but the man, the master of the house, went out to them, said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly, seeing this man has come into my house. Do not commit this outrage. 
look, here is my virgin daughter. I don't get that. Now talk about that. You'll hear the mountain man come out of me in just a minute. Here's my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man, to these men, would, uh, these men would not heed him. Now that's, they did take their responsibility seriously when they took somebody in. Caring for their brother. They took it seriously. But I don't see the need to put anybody at risk here. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. But the men would not heed him, so the man took his concubine, brought her out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Everybody is crazy. Isn't that the way you feel when you look around our world? I mean, it don't mean you have to be, and it don't mean there's not a remnant. But even this represents, and this is one of the things I want you to see, Benjamin represents a section of the people of God. A segment, I should say. And that's what we have today. We got people even in the body, in the church body, I'm not necessarily saying they're true Christians, that do crazy things. They live like the world and sometimes even worse. And so this is, I want you to see Benjamin as a part of the body in the Old Testament. They've lost their mind, they've gone crazy here. And this guy who, as evidently, we'll talk about the husband in a minute, his problem. We're going to talk about the, the woman who walked out on him, her problem. We're going to talk about the guy who took him in, his problem. And then we're going to talk about Benjamin and their problem. We're going to look at, this less, we're going to look at four lessons from this chapter. And they're all very important to us living in the kind of world we live in. But they took her and they abused her all night. Then when the woman came, the, uh, then the woman came. As the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. Now, I'm telling you, Hollywood can't make nothing better in the Bible. There's dysfunctional families in the Bible. There's crazy people in the Bible. There's good people in the Bible. There's sci-fi in the Bible. There's everything in the Bible. When the master rose in the morning, he opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And there was his concubine falling at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold, trying to get in. Sad commentary to think about this whole situation. We're reading an account here of something that's horrific. You think about what God has to see every day. You think about the three-year-old girl who's being abused right now while we're sitting here in this building. There's some children male and female, being abused this very moment while we're in this building. Myrtle Beach has turned into one of the biggest sex slave trades in the country. Do you know that? When he entered his house, uh, 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 he said to her, get up, let us be going. That's real compassionate, isn't it? There's a problem with this dude, too. He needs his jaw smacked. But there was no answer, so the man lifted her onto the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. What? Throw her on the donkey. Let's take her home. When he he entered his house, he took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, and divided her into 12 pieces. Have y'all read your Bibles before? Limb by limb, sent her throughout the whole territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, 
No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Now listen to this last line. Consider it, confer, and speak up. That's what they were doing this week in Washington, right? About life. We need to speak up. We need to sound the trumpet. We need to stand for the truth. We need to be people of the truth. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's why God has blessed this assembly. It's not because we're the best at everything. It's not because we figured out how to do things. It's because we stand for this right here. God has no obligation to bless or support my dreams or your dreams and your visions. God is obligated to support this right here. Now, He may bless your dreams. He may even give them to you, and He may support them, but He has no obligation to bless your ways and your own plans. But God is obligated to bless this. He will stand with those people who stand with this. And I want to say a little shout-out this morning. I felt this strong yesterday. We got some of the best widows in the country right here in this assembly. And, I'm, and I, some faithful wi widows who are like that woman who put all she had in the offering. We got some faithful widows like that here. This, this standing for God's word is the only way we're going to be able to stand. The world is crumbling around us. The, we know that the, actually the world's going to eventually be destroyed. But the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, according to Peter. But his word will stand forever. Now, I want to I do a little bit of a conjugating a verb for you here just for a minute. If we conjugate to be in English, then it conjugates in the first form, I am, you are, and then he is. That's how you would, and that's the beginning. You go into the pearl states and all that. But I just want to look at this one thing here. To be, I am, you are, he is, right? If we take this same, and you know how important verbs are if you've signed under my preaching. Your whole Bible's undergirded with verb activity, right? From pisteo to tharseo, we can go hupomene, we go right on and on. In the Hebrew, which is what we're dealing with here, in this context here, and judges, in the Hebrew, you would conjugate to be, he is, you are, and then I am. Which is totally the New Testament, right? God would be first, your brother, you would prefer your brother or sister, and you would come in last. Isn't that amazing? That's just simply amazing to me how that we twist everything that God starts with. And we've done that. We've perverted. I would call that a perversion. I would call that of a perversion of the original creator. God's the one that formed language. You want to know who knows language? His name is God. He knows it better than any, any theologian, better than any master English teacher or Hebrew teacher or whatever. But this is interesting because this is not playing out the way it should have played out in the 19th chapter of Judges. In fact, he's playing it out more like the English, who wasn't even around at that time. 
but that concept is because we know, right, we've studied this before, and I've used this a lot. The, the, there's three words in the Greek that we use for love, but agape is, is the main word we use, and eros is another word in the Greek, and then phileo is another word that's used, but eros is self-centered love, and we use an arrow that's pointing back to ourselves because we're focused on ourselves. That's how we use that. And then agape is a straight arrow because agape love is focused on the other person, right? So in other words, for God so, he, that's the verb form there in John three sixteen. for God so agapaled, not agape, but agapaled is the verb form. It has action, right? For God agapaled the world that he would done what? What did it move him to do? To give, right? His love, his agape love prompted him to give. And what did he give? He gave the best thing he had. The most, the, he gave up the, when you're willing to give up your child, I'm telling you, if you come to my house and I will give you my son or daughter, you can have anything I've got. Because if I've moved to that spot, to where I'm willing to give you a son or a daughter, that means you have access to everything I have. Do you see what God's saying? That if we come through His Son, that anybody that comes through Him will in no wise be cast out? That's why God was saying that. Because basically God was saying, I've given you my son. How, Paul said it best, how will He not freely give us all things that pertain to life and godliness? We should give Him praise for that. Amen. So let's go through the lessons besides the English lesson. Uh, uh, we we, we want to know that there's everybody here with uh, some degree. I don't think that's fully true. I think he's operating with at least half a hook, the guy that took him in. But the husband's operating in Eros. He don't care about his wife. She's operating in Eros because she left him to do her own thing. And, and nobody's operating for the other's sake. And that's what should be different about the church, right? We, you've seen me do this before. The husband uh, says, uh, I, love you, you're, or, I love you, you're beautiful, right? He's got motive. The woman says, I love you, I want to be your helpmate. The husband says, I love you, I want you to be my helpmate. She says, I love you, your family's got a lot of money. Right? You want to you love with agape toward each other. And that's how God has loved us. So He wants us to love one another that way. That we would prefer one another. And so God is offering us that through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what He's always wanted. For people to love one another and to love Him first. He is, as we come through, you are and then I am. Prefer one another, Paul said in Romans. Let's look at the first lesson. The young woman was unfaithful to her husband and she never pursued repentance. We never find it. He had to go find her. Repentance is like the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. Repentance is where the guy says, hey, I'm going home. He turns back, right? He makes his way back home. And they came back with humility. And he should have come back with humility. He said he, he came back exactly like he should have come back at the prodigal. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your servant or your son. Just let me be a servant. And you know the story. But the father wouldn't have none of that because his love is so great. But the son's posture was right. 
there should have been some brokenness. There should have been some humility, and that's exactly how he came home. She never did. We never see any idea of her repentance. The young woman was unfaithful to her husband. She never pursued repentance. He had to come and find her. An unfaithful servant, now let's put this in our rim, an unfaithful servant is one who has entered into a covenant and rebelled against it. And that's what we do when we sin. We kick against God's covenant, our relationship. So she, this is an unfaithful servant, someone who's entered into a covenant, rebelled against it without pursuing repentance or restoration, therefore forfeiting their, his or her rights and privileges. Now here's what we know about what Paul said, that when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. So let's call this the, the pisteo path, all right? This guy, or we'll just make it a woman, this one. This is because we're talking about a woman. This woman is walking the pisteo path, right? She gets distracted, all right? And as she gets distracted, she goes out of the path to pursue something else, whatever the else is. Now, God's faithfulness is, always, is being experienced here as long as she's walking this line. This is how the devil works on people. She made a decision to leave the path, and now she's down here, right? Pursuing her own end, right? And we've watched this happen. She's pursuing her own end. Now, does that stop God being faithful? No, he's still being faithful. She's out of place, right? Now, if she's not destroyed, now this woman wound up being destroyed, but if she's not destroyed, what she did, she's living under God's mercy. He's having mercy. Now, and we know how long-suffering and merciful God is because Peter said it's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance, right? So she's under his mercy. What she has to do to experience God's faithfulness is return, right? This woman was not experiencing any of the benefits of her husband because she had walked out on it. What she needed to do, like the prodigal did, is she needed to return. The prodigal, he returned, right? He was out here in a mess, right? He was eating with the pigs out there. And because of that, he's, the Bible said he come to himself. Now, I had a, a close relative who was in special forces in the military back in Vietnam time. And uh, he, he, was, he's a, he was the toughest, craziest guy I knew. When I say crazy, the, the guy that would pick the snake up that was crawling through, right? He wasn't afraid of nothing. And so uh, he robbed a store, armed robbery. And uh, he had walked with the Lord years ago, but when he, he this things fell apart, he got, went back to the world, and he robbed this store. <clears throat> and so I went and talked to him. He said, well, I robbed that store because I knew they had a bunch of stores, and I knew it wouldn't hurt them as bad as if somebody only had one store. I said, well, that's admirable. <laughs> he chose the rich family to rob instead of the poor so he winds up in uh, prison. And uh, he's on his way out. He's been there for a while. And he's on his way out. And he's standing at the halfway house, what they used to call a halfway house. And he's, he's, it's minimum security. He could walk off. But if you walk off at that point, you're just sealing your fate. He knew he needed to stay. But 
he had so much hatred in his heart towards somebody that had done him wrong through this whole process that he said he was standing at that fence and he was looking at the river and he knew what to do. He told me, he said, I was going to jump the fence. I was going to hit that river so the dogs couldn't catch my scent. I was going to float down as far as I could, get out, and head to North Carolina and kill a man. That was his plan. I want you to listen to how the Lord works. He hadn't walked with the Lord before. He said, as I was standing there, he said, contemplating that I, what I was going to do, he said, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I hadn't heard God's voice in years. And he said, if you jump that fence, he said, your life's over. And he said, I, I knew that was God. And he turned and walked in and went to church that night. I guess they had church there and returned to the Lord. Just one encounter. Humility and repentance is necessary for all of us. You may look at somebody in church around and say, well, they got their life together. They ain't always had their life together. How many of you can raise your hand and say that's true? We ain't always had our life together. We all had to be saved. We all had to ask the Lord to forgive us. We all needed to repent and return. This woman refused to do that. This woman eventually, she paid for her sin eventually with death because there was no genuine repentance. Now, as you'll see as we go through these lessons, nobody's getting excused in this. But this woman put herself at risk for breaching the covenant and not repenting. And that's what we see, right? We see the fallout of sin all over the place. And this woman dies. God does not make us do right. He's not making anybody do right. He don't even make people in the church do right. God don't make us do right, neither does He condemn us when we do wrong, but He looks for genuine repentance, which keeps us in a position to receive from His hand. That's how we want to live. Lesson number two, the man who took responsibility for the man and his wife. He took them in. He allowed fear to move him to compromise. Now, I don't know. I'm, here's where the mountain guy's getting ready to come out of me. This man should have taken authority over his own house and not allowed these men to intimidate him and to give an end to fear. Now, I'm going to say, Jesus said, <clears throat> let's throw this passage, Matthew 10, 28 up here. Matthew 10, 28 on the screen is, <clears throat> Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I'm not afraid of evil. I ain't afraid of no demons. I ain't afraid of none of that stuff. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But I am also going to take care of my family. Now, if you come to my door and want to waller with me or some guest I have, I'm not offering you my daughter. I'm not offering you my wife. I'm not offering you my daughter-in-law. I'm not offering you my granddaughter. I'm coming outside with two of my friends, Smith and Wesson. And my first cousin, Ruger, who we call 45. And you're getting off my property. Because I ain't putting up with that nonsense. 
I am not offering you. Now, I don't know why these guys went that far. I'm not going to give them what they want either, but I'm not offering them no... There are no alternatives. I'm coming out with my automatic shotgun. There's no alternative. You're going to leave. If you want to repent, you can repent. I've led a lot of people that live that lifestyle over the years in repentance, and that's fine. But you're not coming in there wallering with my guests, and I'm not offering you something different. You're leaving. This guy gave way to fear. He let fear come in on him, and it intimidated him. And many people are, we're made to feel awkward if we do not stand or give in to the demands of our society. Let me read you this last line. I want this to ring in your ears. Consider it, confer, and speak up, he said. Now what they did, we'll talk about in just a minute, but they all got together at God's house and they said, we're not putting up with this in Israel. And they eventually went and, and did, did uh, Benjamin in. So she, he gave in to fear. Sad to say, the fear of not being accepted or being an outcast has moved many people into doing something stupid or missing out on the blessings of God because we were worried about what everybody else thought or what everybody believed. Now, I love people, and I'll talk with you, and we can even debate things. Just come with your with you, with you, with you stuff loaded. But I am not compromising for you, my wife, my mother, my father, or anybody else when it comes to God's Word. I'm going to stand with God's Word no matter what. And this guy refused to do it. He was, he was afraid of those guys. He, I can't understand that. I can't even comprehend that. But he was moved with fear. God does not want us to be moved with fear. He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. That's a characteristic of a spirit-filled believer. They have power and love and a sound mind. And that's what's wrong with half the church world in our culture today. They don't have a sound mind. So he, he, King Saul, you know, I've talked about Saul before. He's the first one that introduced politics into our world, I believe, because he's the, when he was confronted about not obeying God, he said, well, it was the people. In other words, he cared more about what people thought than what God had said. And that's when politics came into our earth, when people started caring more about what people think than what God thinks. If, God, if everybody lived by God's law, there would need to be a no law. A man who lives or a woman who lives by God's word needs no law because the Holy Spirit, they, they are guided by the Holy Spirit. The third lesson, the husband, the guy who was more filled with eros than he was agape. The husband appears to have been motivated by pride and not love for his wife. I better go get her, it's making me look bad. Better go find her. And the spouses and children can tell when us men are motivated by pride and not love. They can tell it with the mom too. They can tell when we're motivated by pride and not love. And this guy, he don't care. He didn't even, you know, out of, he, he had no respect for his bride. Too many people are motivated by eros that we talked about just a minute ago and then agape. Love that's self-centered, right? So let me change these two items here. This woman is love with a hook, and this one's got agape going on. She's down here pursuing her own life, and this woman's pursuing 
the life that God has chosen for. So she's loving him. Now, what happens is we all have eros, right? <clears throat> Hopefully we don't look like an old fishing lure where we got hooks everywhere. But we all have eros. And we see that with Jacob clearly. In the Old Testament, the first time God visited Jacob, he said, God, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, I'll serve you, right? He had a hook in mind. But this, and that was when he went to Bethel and met God the first time. When he went to Bethel the second time, God had been working on him. And what God had been doing had been taking the hook out of him. Then the second time he went to Bethel, he didn't have any demands for God. He just said, hey, I'm yours. I'm yours. And that's how love is at its finest, is when both ends are loving with agape. Where they, he is, you are, I am. Not I am, you are, he is. Follow me? And so this is, this is how God wants to work in our lives to where we can love Him first. When I can love God the way I'm supposed to love God, it enables me to love others more. Now, I'm an old cold guy, so forgive me for my analogies. And I've used this before, but when you compare the level of BTU from coal versus wind or solar or even gas, Gas is closer, but the other two are not even close. And so what happens when you love God, this is why we have blackouts sometimes when the winter gets really cold because we don't have enough coal to burn. And so what happens is when you get the coal going, figuratively speaking, you have more ability to produce more BTUs, British thermal units, which create electricity, yada, yada, yada. But anyway... When you get through that, you, what the lie that we believe is, if I love this person first, then they'll, I'll be loving them the most. And that's, that's the lie. Because you can't love with the same amount of BTUs. You follow me? When you love God first, your BTU level goes up. Are you following me? All right? So, for instance, when I worked in the mine, some of the BTU of the coal was like 10,000. Some of the coal we mined was 15,000. You fall? So it burns hotter, it burns cleaner, it leaves less ash, yada, yada, yada. So if you burned with this coal, same amount, right? Blockwise, if you had this much coal with a 10,000 BTU versus this same amount of coal with a 15,000, you follow me? So what I'm saying to you, this is the lie we got to overcome, that this woman, if she loves God first, she has a greater capacity. She has more BTUs to love her husband and her children. If she loves her husband more than she loves God, or if she loves her children, and that's a problem in our culture now, more than they love. You can't love your children. You, the, Jesus said, you can't love anybody more than me and be my disciple. That's plain talk. Well, I love Jesus, but no. He said, you cannot love anyone more than me and be my disciple. So this woman... If she loves God supremely, she has a greater capacity to love her husband, to love her children, and whoever else is in her circle that she gives love to. This husband's living in Eros. He's not living in Agape. He don't really care about his wife. Let's look at Romans 12 and 10. I'll just show you this quick hitter on the screen. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. That's what the Bible teaches us to do, that we prefer one another, that we bear one another's burdens. He, he wasn't like this. His, either our actions 
are centered with other people in mind like Jesus was, or they're all centered with our own self in mind. Now you think about that. That's the difference between eros and agape. Lesson four. Somebody I heard him say, good, he's almost done. I may spend a long time right here. The tribe of Benjamin was part of Israel. All right, they're a whole. Same, I want you to think about this. Our country, our church, the church world, we have pockets of problems, right? The tribe of Benjamin was part of Israel. Israel represents the whole. Israel had a problem inside of him, and it had to be dealt with. So he pursued the problem till he finally received the wisdom from God to ambush that thing that was inside of him and overthrow it. Are you hearing me? There's a lesson here for all of us. If you will, turn with me to Psalm 18. I want you to listen. I believe this is David talking here, how he talks. Yeah, it's the Psalm of David. Let's look at verse 37. Listen how he talks. Now I want to talk, I want you to let this sink down into your ears, like Jesus said. I have pursued my enemies. I want you to think of this in a spiritual context. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You is capitalized. See that he's talking to the Lord. You, again, is capitalized, have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have, now our weapons are not carnal, right? We don't fight flesh and blood. I want you to take this and make it spiritual, right? With the battles you face. He says, for you have armed me with the strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies. I love that. This is a guy that's living in victory. Now you take this, first that which is natural, then that which is spiritual, Paul said. Take this natural occurrence because David... He does overcome his enemy and apply that to your spiritual life. There's a way to do that. And I've been sharing this more and more. Meditation on God's Word is the key. It is the key. Selah and on God's Word. That's why you find David using that word selah so much. Basically the idea behind that in our culture is chewing the cud, right? You would eat that, burp it back up, sorry. Chew on it and swallow it again. That's what we need to do with God's Word. And then he says, uh, You have also given my next man so that I destroyed those who hated me. The devil hates you. Don't forget that. The devil's not your friend. He hates everybody. And guess what? I hate him. I hate him. You have also given me the next man so I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord. But he did not answer them because they were on his side. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them like the dirt in the street. In other words, he cast them under his feet. This is the lesson we see when Israel gets together. After he sends the body parts of this woman out, they all gather together the house of the Lord, and they say, we're taking care of Benjamin. We're not letting this, be, this canker, this sore be on us. And so they went down there to battle and to battle, and finally they destroyed them. They said, this cannot be a part of what we are or who we are. And they destroyed it. Now, don't you think about your own life for a minute. And I'll get to the end of this in just a moment. What do you see that the enemy's trying to do with you that cannot be a part of your life? 
It's not God's will, and you know it. But you know the devil's a, he's a good opponent. But perseverance is a biblical concept for each one of us. Now, I want to tell you something. He that endures to the end, the same will be saved. I want you to put Matthew 11 and 12 up here. Listen to what he says. He says, From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Do not, I forbid you, as your pastor, to go on the internet and read what idiots say about that verse who do not know what they're talking about. They have butchered that verse. A lot of them preach it. Go to Luke chapter 16, 16. One more verse. The law and the prophets were until now since the time and kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Same occasion that Luke's writing about. He lays it out here. Violence, poor choice of words in English. But he's not, and I've watched them butcher this. I read some stuff this week. I hadn't, which I felt dirty after I read it because of some of the outlandish stuff some preachers say about this verse. This verse comes from a verb. This uh, biazo is the word that we translate violent or pressing. That is the root, all right, of this word. This word is not used as like the devil's coming in and about to overthrow God's kingdom. I read some stuff that was crazy and, and this kind of stuff. These guys are people who are pursuing God and refuse to be denied. They're just like the woman who came and tried to get her daughter healed. Jesus almost kind of turned her away and said, we don't give the bread off the master's table to dogs. But she turns and says, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumb. And Jesus says, hey, she refused to be denied. Zacchaeus, he refused the woman that touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She was going to do whatever it took to get a hold of him. And he said, I felt virtue or power leaving me when she touched him because she touched him by faith and she done that's the kind of people we're talking about here this word means people who have a passion an interest and a determination that the that they're going to enter they're they're not going to be denied so here's what i want you to do you may have a battle in your life and if we took a poll there's probably a lot of people in this building that have a battle in their life and if you don't have a battle right now guess what One's coming. That's how it works, right? The devil may leave you for a season and go harass somebody else, but he'll send a demon sooner or later back your way. We know that, right? So the first thing, if you're going to win victory, the first thing you need to do is be committed to not quitting. The older I get, the number one characteristic I see of a true believer is endurance. I don't care how talented somebody is. I don't care how spiritual they think they are. If they're a Johnny in and out, God can't use them, and I'm not interested in using them. But I'm talking about people who endure. They stand the test of time. I'm not talking about perfect people. I'm not talking about people that never have headaches or never get attacked by the devil. I'm not talking about people that never fail. I'm talking about that guy who may fall seven times, but he's popping right back up seven times. I'm talking about that guy, no matter what the devil throws at him, he's not backing down, he's not quitting on anything. So the first thing you need to do, this should have been settled yesterday. I'm not quitting. You should have settled that yesterday. These guys, the rest of Israel, they went down to Benjamin and got pushed around the first two or three times. Then finally, they went back with the mind of God and they overthrew that thing. 
You hang on. You keep standing God's Word. Do not let the devil defeat you by feeling sorry for yourself. You're not the first one that's ever fought that battle. And a lot of times that's how the devil makes us feel, right? We're in this battle. Nobody knows how. Listen, that people done been through that battle millions of times. Some of them have learned how to overcome it. Some of them don't stay stuck in the mud. So just step into that thing. Be committed to not quitting. Meditate on God's Word. Let it change. Your mind, my mind, our soulish realm is where the battle's at. You remember the, 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 me bringing the Elvis album out here and preaching for three months on the soul man, the spirit, and the body? That's where the battle takes place. The body and the world sending these signals in and the spirit down here trying to wrestle and shoot God's Word out. Give him the ammunition he needs. Feed him the Word of God. And so finally they overthrow them. They persevere. They didn't give up. They didn't quit. Well, they got beat the first time. They said, oh, they got beat the second time. Oh, they kept going back to God's house. And then finally, you know what they did? After they had overthrew Benjamin, they were concerned for him. And the Bible says the rest of the tribes wept because of it. They wept over him. In the In the book of uh, Psalms, the Bible tells us not to rejoice when our enemies are in trouble or God will stop punishing me. We don't take any pleasure in the downfall of anybody. We should never be that way. We should rejoice because righteousness reigns. Amen? And it reigns because of God and not us. You guys can come to instruments. Perseverance is a biblical concept. Everybody in this building needs to be somebody of perseverance. All of us. And I know the battle gets tough. But you know what the Bible says about Abraham? It says that he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And the Bible says he died having not received the fulfillment of everything but he died in faith. Let's stand to our feet. These four lessons are real lessons for us because we live in a world just like this. We live in a world where part of the church is messed up and the world's messed up and horrible, horrible things go on. Things that we don't even like to talk about go on in our world in this country. In this community, with children and women and sometimes men and young boys and girls, and all the atrocities that are going on even in our own counties, in our own states and cities. We need to understand that we got to speak up against things that are wrong. Take a stand. Stand with God's Word and you'll be standing when this is all said and done. Let's bow our heads. I want to thank all of you for being with us today around the world and those of you that will get this podcast sometime this week. We want you to confer, consider, and speak up. We are the hands and feet of the Lord. Jesus said if we'd seen Him, we've seen the Father. He was such a perfect representation of the Father. We want to get to a place where we can say that to others. If you see us, you've seen a picture of Jesus. 
That's how our lives should be lived, where people can see Jesus in us. We don't want to live our lives, Lord, with eros. We want you to get the hooks out of us to where it is He is, you are, and I am. We want you to do that in our lives to where we prefer our brothers and sit them, where there's no sacrifice that's too great, where we won't be the person who will be intimidated by fear. We'll be those people that you talk about. Don't fear men who can kill the body. But we fear you, Lord. We trust you. And we ask, God, that you would empower us here in this fellowship and in this ministry that we have that's went around the world. We pray all the churches we have that you would empower those believers. Not only us, but every Christian in every church that really seeks the mind of the Spirit. Lord, let them be empowered. Let them have power. Let them have love. And let them have a sound mind. I speak that over this group today and anybody who's watching that we would have love, power, and a sound mind. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want to invite you to come and surrender your life to Him. We've all had to walk that aisle. You're not out of place here. Come and do your business with the Lord. Maybe you're sick. You need prayer this morning. Maybe you need a new job or something. Whatever your need is, God is able to do far above, Paul said, what we can think or ask. So we pray as we worship Him now, this altar is open.